Uh, there we go. That first service that I ought to wear a suit more often because it's a dead giveaway that when I do, I'm going to be the one preaching. Um, reading from John chapter 11, the word of the Lord. If you will stand, please. Beginning with verse 2, it says, At dawn he appeared again in the temple courts, where all the people gathered around him. And he sat down to teach them. And the teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, If any of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. And Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No, sir. No one, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. The word of the Lord. When I was a kid, I had several collections of things. Uh, marbles, I didn't really collect them because of the marbles. We had a game we used to play. And I don't remember the rules or the objectives, but I remember we would dig a hole in the ground. And the, I think part of the object was to get the ball into the hole, I mean the marble, sorry, into the hole. And then when you were in the hole, you could uh, hit, try to hit somebody else's marble. And then you got to keep that marble. And the white ones here, they were worth more than these clear ones. They were... Uh, they, they were uh, two for ones. Um, I uh, I grew up in Italy, and we collected soccer cards. We didn't have football cards or baseball cards. Every year they would come out with a new album of uh, all the different teams that were in the Serie A, for those of you soccer fans. And uh, we would fill up that album, and we would trade cards. But we also had a game that we played, and we would flick the cards like that. And, and you'd see if you could land on top of it. And if you landed on top of it, you got to keep that card. Uh, I had a collection of matchbox cars. I don't even know if they make matchbox cars anymore. I couldn't, do they, they still do. Okay. I wish I still had mine. I don't know what happened to it. But my friend Chris Helmuth and I, we, could, we would spend days playing with matchbox cars. We would build cities and have roads, uh, little dirt paths that would go around and use uh, building blocks to set up, uh, build houses and garages. Uh, had a, I had a, a collection of keychains. Uh, here's one of uh, the Eiffel Tower from, from Paris. Have a, a ski boot from uh, Switzerland. Uh, got the Lenin Tower of Pisa. A bottle of Chianti. Had all kinds, all kinds of, of keychains. Uh, Lego was a very popular thing. Now, back in my day, you didn't go to the store and buy uh, Lego like they have it now, where you, you pull it out and you've got a, a plan and a, and a design and you've got all the pieces there. You just went and bought a box of Lego and you could buy accessories such as tires and uh, wheels. And, but you had to make your own. You had to be very uh, creative. And so I made a little 
uh, Range Rover here or something like that. I uh, also had a can collection, and I still have my can collection. It's up in my attic. I haven't, this is the first time that I've probably looked at these cans in 25 years. I didn't even remember that Welch's made a root beer. Uh, here's an old Fresca can. Uh, this is a 7-Eleven orange soda. Found out that Mark Webster got several beer cans. Didn't, I found out that Mark Webster also had a collection of uh, beer cans that his mom threw away. And he said he thought they were worth quite a bit. I don't know. I may have to investigate that. But I don't collect a lot of these things. I don't collect any of these things, matter of fact, anymore. What I collect today are rocks. This is my rock collection. They're not precious stones. Troy Eads has some real nice precious stones if you want to uh, go talk to him sometime. But, but these, these, this is my rock collection. These are, each one of these rocks has a name. Uh, these have Larissa's name on them. This is my wife's. And uh, I have more than one because sometimes, um, well, I don't need to, but sometimes I do throw uh, more than one of these rocks at her. I have one for... <laughs> I have one for Ethan, but you know, Ethan's halfway around the world on a ship, so I don't throw his. Micah's I do throw occasionally, don't I, Micah? Yeah. Uh, Karis's I probably don't throw very often because, you know, she's the baby. She's my little girl. She's got me wrapped around her finger, so that one doesn't. Uh, let's see. This is, uh, oh, this is my elder rock. Uh, I, I, uh, Ed Houston told me earlier, he said, now, you know, we have quite a collection of lingerie for you guys. We carry around what we call pink slips. Uh, but anyway, I don't think I've ever thrown this rock. I don't think I've ever thrown this rock at the elders. Uh, this is my, my staff rock. Kevin and I may have thrown a rock back and forth to each other before, but I don't. Um, this is, th- these are your rocks. I know I've thrown some at y'all before, uh, probably different one individuals. Um, I'm, I'm ashamed to admit that, but I have. Uh, these are my uh, Friday night football rocks. Coach, you did a great job Friday night. Uh, but, you know, the referees don't always cooperate, so you've got you to get on to them. This is my, uh, I think this is San Angelo City Council, maybe. Uh, this, yeah, shame on them for going back to stage one. Uh, this is my President Obama. Used to be President Bush. Uh, of course, you have to change the name. Anyway, the list goes on. We've got Congress, and you, you, you keep naming them. Um, rocks. That's what our story talks a little bit about today. Some, of, uh, some interesting things, though, about this story that we're, we're not going to spend a whole lot of time on, and hopefully you spent some time talking about them in your Bible class, is one, one thing is we're not really sure this story belongs uh, in John uh, we're really not even sure if it belongs in the Bible. There's actually some question of that. It does not appear in the earlier manuscripts. Uh, some theories are that uh, uh, early, uh, early Christians uh, took it out because uh, it appeared to be too soft on sin. That when Jesus uh, did not condemn uh, the woman, that that gave uh, the folks of that time an excuse to go ahead and go out and sin, primarily the sin of adultery, and it gave them an opportunity to, uh, to practice unfaithfulness, knowing that they would probably get away with it. Um, as I said, we're not sure it belongs in John. Uh, some, some scholars think that it sounds a little bit more like Luke's writings, so that it might have originally possibly been in the uh, Gospel of Luke. But if you notice, uh, my Bible has it, 
there's a line prior to where the scripture starts and one where it ends showing that it is kind of disconnected. Sometimes it may have it be in brackets. Sometimes it may have an asterisk. Uh, but again, not really sure exactly if this where is where it is that it belongs. Another question that arises is where was the man? Uh, the law very clearly stated that both parties uh, were to be stoned to death. And really, if you want to get real technical about it, the law said that they were to carry them before the Sanhedrin, not before a rabbi or a teacher, uh, most certainly not in the temple courts. Uh, law also stated that uh, particularly the woman uh, was to be stoned on her father or her husband front, fr- husband's front porch. Uh, remember, women in this time were considered property, and so if she was married, then she would, uh, you did it at her uh, husband's house. If she was not married uh, at her father's house, because her uh, uh, father or husband, whichever one, was responsible for her, and so they did it uh, on the front porch in order to shame the parent or the husband as well. Uh, and, and a third thing is that the offended party was the first one to cast the stone. And the story doesn't tell us, we don't know, but it doesn't appear that whoever uh, was res- um, the offended party, in this case, I'm assuming if she was married, that would have been her husband. Uh, but anyway, he, we have no mention that he was there to, uh, uh, to do that. So a lot of, lot of, lot of fishy things there. And of course, verse, verse six does tell us that it is a trap to try to set Jesus. But a third point, and hopefully you discuss this a little bit in your Bible classes is there's always a question is what did Jesus write in the dirt? Uh, well, honestly, we don't know. Um, the word that Paul, uh, sorry, the word that John uses there, uh, the Greek word for writing is katagraphen, uh, the word for writing in Greek is graphen, but when it's katagraphen, it becomes a legal term, and it's as if you were, are writing a record uh, that you're going to use against someone in court. So it's very likely that he was writing something, not just doodling, but I'll tell you that whatever you think he wrote is probably as good as a guess as anybody else has come up with. The important thing is, is that whatever he did write, he did get the attention of these gentlemen. But there are some things that we can learn uh, from this lesson, and I want to pull out just a couple of those right quick as we spend a few minutes continuing to talk about this. Now, we know that Jesus is in Jerusalem. He's been up there uh, for the Feast of Tabernacles. That's one of three uh, feasts that that the Jews, especially the Jewish men, were required to attend uh, if, if at all possible. Uh, so he's been there for the Feast of Tabernacles. He's come under fire for his teaching, uh, and the authorities are looking for a way to get rid of him. They want him killed. They want him dead. Uh, he's upsetting the status quo and threatening the power and control of those in charge. Now, we know it's not his time. The Scripture says that. Obviously, because it's not his time, he keeps managing to elude uh, all of their attacks. But this time, it appears that maybe they finally got him in a corner. He's sitting in the temple court, teaching those gathered around. Uh, the Pharisees burst in, these, these, these scribes, these teachers of the law, these Pharisees burst in, and they stand before him, this woman, who they say has been caught in the very act of adultery. The Bible is very specific in saying, or the Greek is very specific, the very act, meaning that they probably literally went into a house and pulled her out of the bed. Their question to him then is, in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. Now, what do you say? Well, if Jesus says yes, then he's really not the friend of publicans and sinners that he makes out to be. Also, if he says yes, 
he could be charged uh, because Roman law superseded Jewish law. And even though Jewish law said that you could stone them, Roman law said that they couldn't do that. So they could take him to the Roman authorities and say, this guy is threatening to break the law. If he says no, then he's likely an imposter because no good Jew would ever question or deny what Moses had written in the law. So they think that they've got him, but it says that he stoops down. He begins to write in the dirt, uh, possibly ignoring them. Again, we don't know for sure, but it says they do get a little bit hot under the collar and they start pressuring him and they say, okay, what's your answer? Come on, tell us what, what, what we need to do. So he stands up and he says, all right, go ahead, stoner, but only those of you without sin may cast a stone. Very interesting choice of words that Jesus uses here. The Greek word uh, for without sin is anamartetos. And anamartetos refers to someone who has never sinned or cannot sin, but also carries with it the implication of sinful desire. So basically what he's saying to them is, is that you may never have done it, but you've probably thought it. Now, who is it that wanted to stone this woman? the scribes and the Pharisees? And who were the most uh, excellent law keepers among all the people? The scribes and the Pharisees. Isn't it, isn't it funny, isn't it ironic how the ones that are, uh, and I can include myself in this number, are the most or the greatest sticklers at times about law and about justice, tend to point the finger at others, but very seldom uh, hold themselves accountable Uh, to the same laws. When I only apply the law to you and not to me, I am guilty of violating both the letter and the spirit of the law. When I only apply the law to you and not to me, you cease to be a person and become an object, the object of my frustration, the object of my displeasure, uh, my disappointment, my vengeance, and you can fill in the blank. When I only apply the law to you and not to me, That's when I throw rocks. That's when my rocks come in handy. University of Chicago professor Martha Nussbaum says that we objectify a person when we treat them like a tool for our own purposes, deny them the right to make decisions for themselves, treat them as if they lack the capacity to think or act for themselves, treat them as if they are owned by us or a slave to us, Consider them expendable, deem that it is okay to hurt or destroy them, and ignore or show no concern for their feelings. The moment people become things, the spirit of Christianity is dead. To these uncompassionate religious religionists, this woman is simply a pond. She's an object in a scheme, a means to an end. Uncompassionate religionists tend to tear people down. When I've been hurt, be it by my spouse, be it by my child, cheated by the mechanic, offended by the clerk behind the counter, I demand justice. And because I'm afraid that justice won't be served quite the way that I think that it should be served, then I take things into my own hands and I pick up a rock and I throw it. Uncompassionate religionists seem to forget that they too have a sin problem. The Bible says that all have sinned, not just you, but me as well. And the Bible says that because of sin, we all deserve death, not just you, 
but me as well. And that is, and this is why Jesus' response is so indicting at this moment. He says, if you think you're good enough to do so, go ahead. But remember that the qualification for judging is not knowledge, because we all possess knowledge. The qualification for judging is achievement in goodness, and none of us is perfect there. None of us is good enough to throw the rock. None of us can say that we have never committed a single sin or had a single sinful thought. And this is an area where you can compare apples to oranges because it doesn't matter what kind of fruit you're talking about. Sin is sin, whether you've done the same one or not. So one by one, each member of the mob drops his rock and begins to walk away. And then again, one of the most beautiful scenes that I think is is, uh, pictured in the Bible He looks to the woman and he says, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? Now, our English terminology, I don't think really captures, uh, because woman is, I think, a little bit of a derogatory term, maybe in our culture, our language, just to refer to someone as a woman. If I call Arisa woman, I'm going to start backtracking because she's going to start throwing some rocks at me. Uh, But the word he uses here uh, is uh, a word that carries with it the idea of respect, probably more similar to the word ma'am. It's the same word that he uses when he refers to his mother back in John chapter 2 at the wedding of Cana, when she approaches him and says, you know, uh, he'll take care of you. And he says, dear woman, why do you involve me? Uh, He'll refer to her again with that same term when he's hanging from the cross over in chapter 19, when, and John is standing there and he says, woman, thy son, son, thy mother. Again, it's a term that connotes or that carries with it the connotation of lady. It's a term of honor spoken to a woman worthy of honor. So Jesus does lift her up. He doesn't refer to her as a slut or an adulteress or a homewrecker. He speaks to her with dignity. He shows her respect. He treats her with honor and grace and love. Dr. Paul Turnier, in his book, A Doctor's Casebook, talks of what he calls the personalism of the Bible. And he points out how the Bible is very fond of names. Exodus chapter 33, 17, God says to Moses, I know you by name. Isaiah 45, 3, God says to King Cyrus, it is I, the God of Israel, who call you by your name. There are pages and pages and pages of names in the Bible. But Turnier insists that this is proof that the Bible thinks of people first and foremost, not as factions of the mass, or fractions of the mass, or abstractions, or objects, or cases, but as persons. And so like Jesus, compassionate believers see each other as persons and not objects. Compassionate believers refer to each other with proper names or dignified terms. Compassionate believers look for ways to build others up. Compassionate believers speak words of encouragement and forgiveness. Compassionate believers touch with healing hands. Compassionate believers remember that they too stood before Jesus with their sin and he didn't hold it against them. Compassionate believers don't throw rocks. N.T. Wright said that forgiveness is not the same as tolerance 
which I think is easy to uh, confuse here with this passage. Being forgiven does not mean that, that sin doesn't matter. To the contrary, forgiveness means that sin does matter, but that God chooses not to hold it against us and to set it aside. The words, neither do I condemn you, may have been directed to the woman in question, but they were certainly heard by all that were gathered there in that temple court. And I would like to think that maybe even some of those men that were going to throw those rocks maybe hadn't gotten too far and maybe they heard those words as well. They've certainly been read and you've heard them here this morning. They're words of Jesus giving us another opportunity to make the better choice. Now, I would like to tell you that I'm going to put all these rocks in just a little bit in a bag and go throw them in the lake. But I would be lying. Um, I, I would like to think, and I'll let uh, especially my family be, test, be witness as to whether I've uh, uh, pick them up less maybe than I, than I have uh, or, or that I don't throw them quite as often as maybe I used to. But the reality is, is that in, in our humanness, that's where we fail. But thanks be to God that, uh, that he forgives us. I came across a, uh, a very profound and encouraging proverb that's uh, popular among Native Americans. It says, a father tells his son, there are two wolves fighting within me, one bad and one good. The son asks, which wolf wins? To which the father replies, the one I feed the most. The more we choose to act like compassionate believers, the less we will act like uncompassionate religionists. The more times we choose to drop the rock, the less we throw it. The more we embrace our forgiveness, the more we will be able and willing to forgive those who sin against us. Let's stand and let's sing.